Hello everyone and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing Podcast, brought to you by the Revenue Marketing Alliance. Today, our podcast host, Paul Sweeney, is talking to Eric Murphy, Principal Consultant at BabelQuest, about everything to do with MarTech, from a brief history to what the future might look like. Okay, so I'd like to welcome Eric Murphy to the podcast. Hello, Eric. Hi, Paul. How are you? Great, thanks. Now, you and I go back a little while. In fact, I used to be one of your clients of your excellent marketing agency. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your uh, agency, what you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. So um, we are BabelQuest. We are a HubSpot Elite um, Solutions Partner. Um, we're somewhere up there in the top half percent in the world, what we do. Been running for about 12 years, been a HubSpot partner for 10, and you guys were actually our very first um, HubSpot client. Great. Back in those days, and those days it was simply just Martech. It was, uh, it was marketing. It wasn't even called Marketing Hub at that point because it was the only one. It was before they launched into the whole sales here and things and became what it is today. But it was very much the leader of the, um, of the Martech field at that point when you were clearly made a fantastic decision. To, uh, to buy it and work with a great partner like us. So I thank you for starting us on our journey. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, I think I'm aging myself in this bit by calling it MarTech. I've spoken to a couple of people about talking about this and they insisted that I should be calling it either RevTech or a platform of some description because of the direction of travel that you've just described there. Um, I guess just for the purposes of everyone else, why don't I quickly describe what I think I mean by MarTech or RevTech and then we can jump on from there. But basically, I think I mean a piece of software or technology used by marketers to plan and execute marketing activities. Now, I think that, you know, you guys in HubSpot might argue that that is limiting what the platform does now and what other marketing platforms do, but I just think it would be useful for everyone to have a shared understanding of where we're starting this, um, starting this conversation. But I think HubSpot is a really interesting example. And certainly from my perspective, I think they're the first MarTech provider that I was aware of switch things around a little bit from trying to design something that is designed for marketers and instead designing a piece of technology with the buyer at the center rather than the user. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think the uh, the, the genesis of it really started when um, the the guys who invented HubSpot were looking at they were they were really interested in what was happening with buyer interactions in the cloud. They were looking at what did it mean when somebody was skipping from one digital marketing platform to another. What did it mean when they were engaging with social or engaging with email or engaging with the website or downloading something or being part of an automation sequence within a funnel? What 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 was going to be useful for you to follow up with them? Which is, you know, you really need to understand more about who they are, which brings in the whole idea of buyer personas and then you've got to work out well, what, what are you going to, how are you going to help them, which brings in the idea of the buying journey of where does somebody sit in terms of awareness and consideration and decision stage and trying to gather all that information and realizing that it was inherently messy. And if you were to build any um, solution that was going to be useful for you as a marketer to work out how to follow up, it really had to be able to focus on that messiness of how um, buyers behave and that they can move backwards through buying journeys and back to the front. No, no, Certainly no um, sales tech systems, no kind of sales pipeline, CRM kind of systems had ever been designed with the thought that somebody would move backwards through the process. But we all know that happens. Um, so I think that was that, uh, the, you know, HubSpot wasn't the first MarTech on the, uh, um, this wasn't, it wasn't even the first big one out there. But uh, I think it it was the first to really rec- focus its its core 
on the buyer behavior. And that's still there now. It's still, you know, you still only get one list of contacts in the whole HubSpot platform, despite the fact that it's huge. Um, and that's not unusual for most MarTech platforms. The, I think the challenge comes in is when you have a lot of them and you start linking them all together, you end up with multiple lists and it starts to become a bit unwieldy in terms of working out whether somebody is a leader, as a prospect, have they passed the sales, have they become a customer? Uh, or, you know, how are you looking at segmenting, you know, if you are lucky enough to be able to have a customer base that you can market to existing customers to get to come back again, how do you split all that up? It, it starts to become a bit um, complicated with Martech point solutions, which I think everything starts as, um, but then eventually spreads out to try to get, capture more space around them. And so you have this sprawl. Uh, and the, some of the some of the best, I think some of the best MarTech platforms out there at the moment have learned that they need to play as part of a platform and they're not a platform. So they need to be able to integrate with others. And I think some of the best examples of that are probably in the space that are not front of house kind of external stuff. It's more the kind of back end project management organization stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, for kind of marketers in my generation, the kind of gateway drug into MarTech was the HubSpot or the, the book that was written by Dharma Shah and Brian Halligan, Inbound. I remember uh, reading that, I think, encouraged by yourself, actually, and it being a bit of a light bulb moment for me, thinking, oh, yeah, suddenly marketing makes more sense. I've been kind of butting against some of these problems uh, without really being able to get my arms around them and then suddenly realizing that um, marketing is often about capturing latent demand or making sure that you're capturing what's out there and who are interested in you and making sure that you're uh, presenting yourself in such a way that people want to come to you. And that was a real light bulb moment for me. And I think HubSpot was probably the first that I was aware of to build a platform around, okay, let's wrap a technology platform around the way that people are buying in a kind of 20th century um, digital first uh, manner. Yeah. And that, that was, um, that was an, interesting, an, an interesting start to that uh, process. And, and what they've really managed to Sum it all. Sum it all up into one word. Really, now, and so that's just attract. Right? So the whole kind of inbound method has become quite bloated. But it's just I mean, from a marketing perspective, we were looking at what we're trying to do for that 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 lead is to attract them, and then that sits well within the you know the the, the i.e. the principle that undermines every bit of advertising that's ever happened. That attention, interest, desire, action. And you know, we, we look at that as a kind of it's, it's just another one of these. Is it another one of these buzzy things? But it's actually more than 200 years old, that principle. And the awareness, consideration, decision stuff just fits directly within it. It's the transition between them. So attention to interest is raising awareness. But how do you raise awareness? You've got to attract people's attention in first, provide them with information that's relevant to them, which then gets them, well, now I'm interested. I'm be, I'm, now I'm prepared to move towards uh, consideration. So lots of what, lots of the, MarTech solutions out there are really designed around that attract stage. And it's largely driven by where I think where marketing as an entire practice has been driven over the last couple of decades with the shift onto the, onto the internet is we're, we're doing, th we're, we're, it's all about net new. It's all about getting new people and new eyeballs on things and getting that reach. And that's not necessarily what marketing is all about. It's, and it's not even where, really where the main opportunity for digital marketing is, I think. I think there's certainly lots of areas where it is. And that's, you know, you're bringing a new product to the market to a new audience. You, you've got to just throw it all into that new stuff. But effectively, what you're doing is advertising. And 
and we're being encouraged to do that by the main digital platforms, the, you know, Meta, Alphabet, they call themselves these days, you know, they're, they're, remember, they're effectively advertising companies. Well, that's what they're doing. They're selling advertising space. They're sophisticated about how they do it, but it, it is advertising. And one thing that I think is, um, is often missing, certainly conversations that I'm having with marketers who are coming towards this stuff, is if you look at where does where do where do all of your best leads come from? Well, the you know it's referrals and it's word of mouth and it's networking and like right. Okay, so how much of your marketing effort do you put towards that? Mm. Uh, what? <laughs> and you know, it's, it's not it's not really looking at this. You know, you you look at where where if you know I get businesses coming to me that have uh, that are still thinking of this as kind of startup territory and they've got to attract net new business, but they've been going for thirty years. And they're very successful at what they do. And they're very well known in their marketplace. And they have customers that come back all the time. They want to get net new logos on, which does happen. But when you analyze where it came from, it's always come off the back of work they've done elsewhere before that. People have said, I want that experience too. And often the, the best way for us to be able to get most use out of that, um, out of their MarTech or whatever the, is the, the solutions that they're buying or their the digital marketing in general is by pointing it directly at those kind of people who are already talking about them and empowering them with the right kinds of positioning and messaging and targeting them towards the kind of people like you know, your ideal customer profile or buyer personas that you want to engage with you because they're the ones that are going to move faster and buy first and give you better feedback. And once you've got that going, then you can look at, well, how could we augment this to be able to find more people like those? So your whole audience expansion things, looking at those interaction stuff, looking at the kind of content that works, looking at the channels that they live in, where the, you know, where the messaging works. And then using that as a springboard to try to drive more new business from people like them, rather than uh, in trying to guess and invent and, you know, and um, style your way through it um, at the start. Does that, have I gone completely off piece stuff? No, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think um, MarTech's a good way, it holds a, a mirror up to how marketing has changed over the last 10 to 15 years, I think, because you're right that most of the, a lot of the buyer's journey is now online. And I think what the MarTech platforms do is shine a light on that journey. Um, and some of them are doing a better job of that than other than others. Um, also, I guess we, when Martech first started out, we used to have quite siloed solutions, marketing automation platforms, which I, I think is where HubSpot first um, first had its play. And then I guess you had um, CRMs. I guess Salesforce is the most obvious example of, of that. I think one trend that I've spotted, and probably not uniquely, um, over the last five years in particular, is the the growth of a platform, an end-to-end platform. Someone an organization you want to be the marketing information platform, it wants to be your chatbot, it wants to be your CRM, it wants to be your service platform. Yeah, yeah I still see, I think I did some research there and there is, someone mentioned there's 9,000 marketing platforms or marketing tools out there of some description or another. Are, are we seeing a rationalization or is this still a big bang growth of you know, new logos out there? I think there's, the, simply because the barrier to entry to this market is relatively low. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to put a huge amount of money together to be able to invent a new whizzy looking point solution in digital marketing to do something. There's plenty of big players out there that have become a bit cumbersome that you can kind of, it's easy for people usually working within those organizations to spot actually this is, 
this has become slow moving. We could do the next generation of it. We could probably nick half the code and uh, and that or take the ideas and build something lighter and do it faster and move into that market space a little better than these guys. And I think that's where a lot of this stuff comes in. One, one, one good example of that, SharpSpring, you know, that jumped out of HubSpot at one point thinking this marketing automation is going somewhere. We can do a few bits of it even better and we can do it for a third of the price. And for a small time, it got some traction. But a lot of those customers ended up coming back, coming back over again. I'm moving on to other things because it didn't have the, um, it, it didn't anticipate what the next thing was, which was this move to platform. Mm -hmm. And it's important to kind of understand the difference between, you know, what is a point solution and a platform. That that's easy enough, but it's the when you're talking about having a software suite and a platform. HubSpot could be said to be a platform because effectively all of the components that are integrated in the back end. And if you're doing any kind of what you know, the data you're using in your email marketing campaign is the exact same data set that the socials on, the exact same data set that the ads on. I mean, it's talking to the same contact records. It's not a separate, it's not your social list and your email list. And it's not even that these are just the leads. And then we've got a list of prospects and we've got a list of customers. They're not, they're just contacts and they're just characterized in that way. So all that stuff's getting written into the same place. So all of your reporting and analytics, all the different tools, they're all springing off that same thing and it keeps the customer at the central focus. And a lot of the other platforms that you mentioned, Salesforce, Salesforce a short while ago, you know, that, that, um, well, it, you know, it is the uh, it, it is the big the big one in the market, um, but they did come out of Oracle and pretty much followed the exact same model as Oracle. They just put it in the cloud, so that you didn't have to buy on-prem servers to be able to run anything. But the, the model's the same. Model for growth has been the same. It's done by acquisition. You know, you buy all of these different tools together. The market, you see them growing up. Bring them into the stack. Put a blue logo on it, and over time, you'll integrate them internally. But they're still integrated suite. As in this case, a suite of software products. So you've got marketing, different a number of different marketing solutions in that stack, which have their own list of contacts. You've then got a separate CPQ tool that is separate from the main sales pipeline tool. You've got now got accounting things and then all kinds of other stuff. And again, there's separate list of things piled together. You know, unlocking Salesforce, they you know they're, they're huge and they've, they've done this but you know, Oracle did exactly the same thing and IBM did exactly the same thing. It is a model for expansion when the big boys do that stuff. So this kind of, you know, um, are we bringing everything back together into platforms? It can look like that with some of the big players, but often they're just bundling together point solutions. The other thing goes the other, you know, the other side of it goes the other way where you've got, um, you've now got things like, you know, Microsoft Dynamics, great platform, fantastic ERP tool. Um, saw the threat from Salesforce and other things coming, so they lobbed a CRM module on top of them. It's not the greatest CRM in the world. They've then lobbed a marketing stack on top of that. That's not the greatest marketing tool that even Microsoft do. So it's you know, there's, there's this cobbling together, and stacking things up in there. Um, when it's coming from, we need one of these to be able to go and talk to them. You're coming at it from a product perspective, and that'll get you so far. But if it's not really putting the customer at the core, um, you're just going to have this proliferation of different things. So one of the good examples, kind of final example on this bit is um, uh, tools like Zoho, which began as a you know small office, home office thing, and it's you know it's effectively you know Zoho books. It's the that's the accountancy part of it. That's the most important bit. And they've 
created all these other point solutions and they call it a platform. This, but if you look into it, none of the back end is shared. There's not the same data. You know, you still have, you know, if you have with the marketing, you've got to integrate it with books. If you get the CRM, you've got to integrate it internally. So if you're finding yourself doing integrations inside that platform, it's not a platform, it's a suite and it's separate modules within that. So there are a few um there are there are more platforms coming up, but the I think the, the the better way to think of them is is who is this meant to be serving and how does that product set fit around those? So I think HubSpot's probably got the best platform play for the front office. For back office stuff, I still think it's possibly Microsoft that dynamics for ERP, NetSuite are fairly strong in the space. There are other players coming out there, but I think in terms of the Martech stack, um it's uh it moves a lot faster. Um, it is consolidating. It's not as fragmented as the back-end systems are, as that called back-offs um, environment is. But I think what's what's happening uh, more and more is if you want to launch a new MarTech title uh, today, it has to be able to play with the others. It has to play nice with all the other kids. You need an open API. You need OAuth 2 as a minimum. You need to be able to do single sign-on and all that kind of stuff to meet the needs of larger orgs. Because, you know, it, you, your customers are these, um, they may be, you know, solo marketers or small marketing teams, but they might be in enormous organizations that as soon as somebody realizes that the marketing department's running 84 different apps and it's all shadow IT, somebody's going to come in and say, guys, you've got to move all of these things over into the main thing and get them hooked up. But being able to have a, that platform play so you're integrated via the main CRM system, for example, is probably the uh, the way everything's going to go. Yeah, so I guess in terms of platforms, the big ones are obviously Marketo, which you've got some experience on, and you've got Marketo or Adobe, uh, which is another one that I think they've purchased, or Adobe purchased Marketo, and Marketo has purchased things like Visible to do some of its reporting, um, and has obviously it has an end-to-end play, but I think they've purchased a couple of companies as well. And I guess Salesforce is probably the CRM that both, or certainly Marketo plays very nicely with, and in the past, I thought you play nicely with as well, but maybe there's a, a bit more competition there than there used to be. We've kind of got these big satellite platforms and then these kind of open API smaller players. Are these open API smaller players all just hoping to be purchased by a platform and integrated into one of them? Is that is that their end goal? Something like Drift, for example, I think with, I know thinking about that, that was spun up out of HubSpot, I think, or it's got some HubSpotters in there that um exited HubSpot. So it's a brilliant chatbot that's um open API and really, you know, really easy to introduce um a chatbot function into your uh, into your Martech stack. But are these guys all hoping to be purchased by one of these platforms or hoovered up by one of these platforms? Yeah, that might that, that's probably not the um the driving force when they set out. Uh and may not even be the driving force when they actually come to exit from them. It may, you know, the, the, the if you're going to certainly the model over the last 10 years or so is to uh, become huge or die trying, and you become huge by uh, getting investors on board. And you know what? If you take their money you've given away your choice and then you get to the point where you start, you know, you they're gearing towards an exit and that exit is selling you to something else. And I don't even think HubSpot's are, you know, immune to that stuff since the flow. There's loads of things that they would like to have done faster that they've not been able to do because the investors would go nuts. And whether, you know, I, I, who knows when anybody's, I certainly don't 
certainly from the um the development path that I was about talking about, it doesn't look like they're angling for a sale anytime soon, where it was obvious with Marketo because they pretty much stopped all RD for two years. Mm-hmm. And they were owned by a private equity group, which is used as an, that was just used as a vehicle to sell it to something else. Yeah. Um the ability to be able to plug and play with other platforms is uh, certainly attractive um, for a lot of these uh, businesses because it would make them easier to buy, but it also opens them up to being uh, to being copied because, you know, that API level, if you're integrating and you're, you're having to share what your object structure is and how the data flow works and what the properties are and all those things, I mean, you pretty much just expose the back-end database of your tool directly to, you know, the biggest animal in your space that could easily just just absorb you you know and, and they don't necessarily need to buy you uh you know a lot of this stuff is is easy to copy the this is another i suppose a, a challenge and where we see you know there's so many new platforms coming out because lots of them just get taken off the market by acquisition or, or you know that are just they're just made irrelevant yeah that's a good point i guess i can understand some of the benefits to all of this improvement to martech and the proliferation of the marketing tech as a industry in itself from the marketer's perspective, I guess switching gears a little bit, is any of this good for the buyer? Is it, does all of this offer a better experience if I'm a, an enterprise organization looking to purchase something? Is that experience any better now as a result of the proliferation of billions of dollars worth of MarTech? Well, so if, you, if we're thinking then of how does it, from a buyer's perspective, how does it improve your experience? Let's just think, how does it improve customer experience? Um, Clearly, there's lots of things in these MarTech stacks from automation perspective that will help you get access to things faster. You know, businesses can react in real time to your inquiries. Uh, also, the ability to be able to, uh, you know, monitor your journey and your, your activity to be able to better segment and target you with personalized information is certainly uh, a promise, should be a promise for the good, you know, provide it's, it should be in the service of giving you, um, giving you a better experience. But in reality, I think there's, um, there's a couple of stages before that can happen that most businesses struggle with when they're implementing technology for marketing sales service. You know, they just stick to the marketing stuff. The first bit on it is, um, when you when you you can be sold the software and you go and buy it and say this is going to solve all problems, and then you onboard it or often just orient it into like here's the thing, there's the buttons, bye. <laughs> there's like there's you know there's the support tickets if you want them, and if you need if you need anything else, you're going to need to pay for it or find a partner or find you know hire somebody who's got experience in doing this thing. So I think the very first thing that that um, is a is a problem, and certainly a lot of the Customers that we talk to, they may have multiple tech stacks and that are very, very poorly adopted. So the so the first bit, that user adoption thing, I think is is the first step with any any technology system. If you if you don't get the users using it, it's just a white elephant. It's not me. It's it's not going to deliver any value. It's not going to deliver any value for the customer either. So our first step there. I think you've got to focus, and certainly what how we focus on implementation of these things will be that the very first. Uh, Back out a sec. The whole point of doing these things should be to drive profitability for the business, right? So we can talk about customer experience. We can talk about great marketing. But if you're spending money on something in a business, it's got to be in service of profit. Mm-hmm. So the first step that we try to get to in that um, that uh, user adoption is all about productivity. If we're going to give you a really whizzy digital marketing tool, it should be very easy to use. It should be able to make your job on a day-to-day basis 
easier. You can become more effective. You can become more productive on a day-to-day basis simply because, well, you should be at the end of the day saying, I don't know how I did my job before without that. Like that, it should be that simple to use. Because if that happens, then all of your users taking all this activity and all of the, the, the leads coming back in at you, interacting with the stuff begins to fill it up with data. And that's really where the promise of these systems come out. So you've now got useful data, not just on based on like, you know, profile information that we're guessing, but we're also now got behavioral data, which we could have guessed, but now we can actually see it in real time. Because if I do this, you do that. And if I do it more, then you do more of it. If I do it this way, you do less, and I'm going to take that out quickly and put it back the other. You know, you get to do that optimization to be able to start looking at what, how do you improve those conversion rates from whether it's just getting traffic to the site or visitors to leads, leads to MQLs to SQLs to, or you know, whatever it is whatever the step is you want them to do. There's loads of little moves you can make in there based on the data, looking at the analytics and making a change and seeing if it improves. So that that second part of it, and you the, about that data set and that alignment and being able to make better quality decisions, is utterly reliant on the first one of users becoming more productive first. So once we get that, and you've got you know happy users love the tool, doing it every day, then you've got data that's appearing that's helping you, showing you what direction to go and how to make improvements. The third part of it, then I feel, is where the customer experience stuff comes in. This is when we've already worked out internally how to do it and how to become more effective and efficient at what we're doing in service of delivering a better customer experience. And now the customers are reacting to that and they are coming back more often. They're referring us, they're spending more money, whatever the metrics are. We're seeing that and we should be in a position where they're beginning to tell you that this is a better experience and you guys all of a sudden seem to be a bit slicker i like this a bit more or then we go and start asking them on a scale of one to ten how likely are you to recommend to somebody else and you get new mps scores to ten or you're getting zeros in which case you're going to find out what could we do better you fix that and then they give you a 10 or your know, customer satisfaction customer effort scores all of those things is i think all of these martech tools need to be able to have that level of automated feedback in them just to put the extra level of data in. So you, you know, you're getting quality information back, not just the kind of metadata quantitative stuff. You're getting real people telling you what it is that they like about what you do. Because if you do that enough, you may just get to the world where the big profitability, big scalability comes in the last part is when you're in stage four, where the customers are saying to you, yeah, I did actually like that quite a lot. I'll tell you what, if you did it like this, I'd spend more money on that because I'm currently spending a lot of money to solve this bigger problem over here. And I think if you were to help me, I think you could probably help me better with that problem. You need to change a little bit. So that's got you've got then your existing happy customers saying to you, if you did this, I would value you more and spend more money. And you can look back at your data set, talk to your users, look at that alignment and go, how can we now deliver that value more efficiently and effectively than we're currently doing, which drives that you know, revenue and cost apart and draw starts driving extreme profitability. So I think we've worked out that's the process that you need to go on when you're buying these things. But we see everybody getting stuck in phase one. Uh, everybody buys this tool. It's yeah, good. Yeah. It doesn't do that. So I'll, I'll have MailChimp over here, but then I'll add something else. And then I'll add something else. And then I'll add something else. And all of a sudden, you've got 10 or 12 apps of which you're only using the last three you bought. And you've forgotten about the previous ones. Yeah, yeah, I think every company's got a piece of uh, Martech sat on the shelf gathering dust somewhere. It's a real shame. You need internal 
champions for each of them, or uh, I guess you need to move to a platform where I'm saying it in the same thing. So, so we've been talking about the kind of history of Marseille, kind of 80s, you had probably a whole load of league records sat on a database somewhere, in the 90s, maybe that moved into the CRM at some point, maybe the 2000s, you, you know, stuck that in the cloud and called it a fast. Um, maybe the 2010s, you started looking at a platform. So if, if I were to kind of hold a gun against your head and say, what do you think the near term future holds for, uh, for Martech? Where, you know, where are we heading? What do we need to be looking out for? Um, we can't ignore the which, which everybody is doing. Everybody's ignoring this next thing that's coming up in the same way that everybody said the internet was never going to work. All this website stuff, all this blockchain stuff. And I think it's all, um, people are kind of blinded by uh, cryptocurrencies and NFTs and, you know, big art sales and all the, you know, hey, I just bought the first GIF. Of- it's got a big PR problem, hasn't it, this technology? It's a real shame that um, this kind of first iteration of this technology was so unlikable because I, I tend to agree with you that it probably is going to transform a lot a lot of the industries and a lot of the ways we work, but it has an enormous um, perception problem at the moment. Yeah, it's that, and it's that, it's the, I mean, the, I'm gonna, somebody finally describes it to me in a way that I could really understand it, that the blockchain is just effectively, it's it's triple entry bookkeeping. It's just having another check out there somewhere that this stuff is valid, and that enables it to be distributed and not owned in one place. Um, so regardless, not really getting into that, but the customer experience of this stuff is that I get to own my data. I get to choose. I get to give permission to people. So we're moving from... Uh, and, and a, 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 um, a world where we gave up our privacy and everything that that meant in order to be able to get some free stuff. Something about marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. And social media. And basically the whole model of the internet. You know, we're giving up our interaction data for these large advertising companies to be able to sell access to our eyeballs or sell our, sell our attention span. And the... The, the other side of that coin is that, you know, you are, that they're having to come to you to ask for permission to be able to do this stuff. And you're granting that. And the, I think the balance in terms of the give and get that happens in marketing is going to become far more nuanced and far more complicated. And I think the, um, I'm hoping that the whole advertising industry will just go away and die because it's a force of bad in the world. But I think that will be replaced by the savvy marketers are really trying to understand how do I provide a better experience to attract the right kind of people towards us, give them value earlier than that so I can get a fair exchange from things. Now, I want to be able to understand, so for example, I want to be able to be understand if you are in the market for looking at replacing a CRM system in your business. That's what I'm interested in. Um, I'm not necessarily interested that you're already in the market for buying HubSpot and you've had a conversation with three other partners already and you want to want a comparative quote. Don't really want to get involved in those ones. I want the ones who are talking already about, we, we don't even know if we want a CRM system, but we think it might be a thing. And I need to be able to provide them with valuable information that works in their world at their t- that time. And I'm prepared to do that if it give, they give me the opportunity to have the next stage in the conversation with them when they go, Okay, yeah, we think we do want to see her, and we think that we will, we, HubSpot would be the thing that we would like, and we would actually like to work with a partner who understands us, and you guys helped us here, and that's what I'm moving to next. So the, the stakes, I think, you've got to get um, for, for marketers are going to be much more about thinking what are the, what are the, the, um, the trigger points in our buyers' heads 
that lead them towards the first point pulse of that conversation, the first start of that journey that could eventually lead to us and recognize that we've got to get really, really good. So we're going so far it's it, towards the start of that journey. The probability to close is low and we need to be very careful about the amount of time, money, and effort that we're spending on courting these, you know, it's very, you know, to use the old funnel analogy at the top of the funnel stuff, um, given when so much of this stuff is going to leak out later. And I think the follow-up between those things is, is going to be more important is that you engage people in a, I mean, Drift is a great example, as a conversational tool. It works because it can respond immediately. And the, and the, there's no magic to how it does it. It's just simply the way it's programmed. It tries to give an emotional response first and then the factual one, like humans are meant to. Yeah. So we think that future is that it's it's all about permission. And in order to be able to get there, it, it's not going to help just inventing the next social media banner. It's not going to help by inventing the next, you know, little bit of whizzy martech thing that can automatically um, translate, you know, Korean pop song lyrics over a TikTok thing to be able to turn to a marketing message and embed it in your website. That's th those kind of things are just not going to be not going to be useful. It's the stuff that's working specifically on buyer intent, uh, kind of psychology of marketing. Uh, really getting back into the basics of how humans work. Okay, cool. Final question, Eric. I, I feel like a lot of the martech is kind of predicated on cookies, right? Um, you visit a website and that installs a cookie on your browser and that allows them to kind of track you around and build up that intent profile when they come back, you know, what content you've consumed and if you've got a cookie installed on there and, you know, maybe you can email them. I think eventually we're going to end up in a cookie-less world um, just because from a you know, GDPR in Europe or wherever you are in the world, there'll be some equivalent uh, piece of legislation that makes installing cookies on your browser automatically or even through, you know, clicking an allow button because I click allow just to get rid of the annoying um, notification on a on a website straight away. What what, what does marketing automation, marketing look like in a cookie world, and you know, what 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 should marketers be doing to prep themselves for that? It's a really it's, it's a really good question. It's the one that most of the sort of big technology platforms, everybody's really gnashing their teeth about this one. I'm trying to work out like, what's the best way to do it because fundamentally, if you remove the ability to be able to track somebody's journey, then most Martech automation platforms are just going to fall on their ass. Um, there was certainly very interesting conversations of the way that HubSpot are looking at it, and it was interesting how Google presented and what they were doing about it at HubSpot's inbound conference and some of the other ones that were going on last year, um, where you effectively um, you're, you're exposing your marketing data to Google, and it will augment it inside its own universe. And well, we 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 can see that, and we see everything else that's going on, so we can then serve them towards you. But what what, what you know, it, it looks like well, that's that's kind of interesting. That's very nice of Google to do that for us. But essentially, what they're doing is just you're having to dump all of your data into their world, and then that gives them even more power. So, I. I think that is um, it's it's an interesting, and it's only it's only those guys who can do it. Um, I think that's interesting, but it doesn't um, it doesn't stop this kind of um, you know. This, I'm picturing the ball at the start of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones with this you know the, the Web three thing coming at us as soon as um, our you know our day to day actions are are running on uh, blockchain technology then it's it's going to be a it i can see it being as as fast but as subtle a shift as 
the iPhone. You know, that's one that would, ooh, it's a bit of a gizmo. This is a bit interesting. I think we're in the first stages of that, but it wasn't until I think uh, iPhone 3GS or something came out and all of a sudden websites actually worked on it. And it was that bit that, holy shit, now all of a sudden the web traffic moved from um, the, the predominantly from uh, mobile devices to web devices. And that just caused a ripple that moved through. And now virtually every, everything is mobile first. But that same move there is, it will be, almost unnoticeable when we're moving from privacy to permission. It won't, it, it's just, oh, in terms of conditions have changed, it just happens to do it this way. So things like Apple with their kind of hide my email, the new privacy settings that are coming in and they're really pushing forward into that space, which are giving us, giving users control back on this. And um, it, it means that you're going to have to move far more towards a game, just being, you've got to be focused on delivering value to your customers so that they want to come back and, and, and get more of it. You've just got to be good at what you do. Yeah. I guess the good news for MarTech providers is that there's still going to be a big space for them because it's still going to be capturing that demand and surfacing that demand for marketers so they can, uh, they can put together campaigns and programs in place to serve that demand. Yeah. Um, hey, Eric, thanks so much for your time. Uh, for a brief canter through the uh, history of Martech and also what the future might like uh, might look like. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, I guess you're on all the socials and all the emails, and we'll stick all the. Babelquist, B A B E L Q U E S T. Give us a Google. We'll be on there somewhere. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our other episodes for even more insights into the world of revenue marketing.